Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, all the way in the land of the East Bridgewater, is the blonde bombshell herself, the most honorable Ann Carrigan. Oh my goodness! Thank you. I've I've finally achieved honorable, huh? Yeah, well, I couldn't think of anything else I could say. Made right an now. honest woman of me. Is that what happened? I don't know. But well, good evening. I'm feeling crappy. So what do you want? You know. I'm sorry. Otherwise, oh, I'm Van Helsing. Otherwise, I just throw the normal insults back at you. I know. He's even imagine that he's even too tired to insult me. That's that's bad. But without further ado, and, 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 you know, we have to get him on as soon as possible because he's such a busy man. He is the hottest, hottest working man in the paranormal and is someone who I've known since I've been working in the paranormal. He is the founder of GhostVillage.com. The, uh, I don't know, he does something for the ghost adventurers and he's written like six trillion books in the paranormal. He's... He's got legend tripping. He's got a beautiful wife and a lovely daughter. He's Jeff Belanger. Hey! That was a slow cue. Come on, get on it. Hey, come on. I was in the middle of taking a drink. And, well, is, that, uh, is that my fault? Of what, Scotch? Um, no, much stronger. If he's doing this show, it's got to be stronger. Gotta yeah, be stronger. I, think it's, uh, I think it's lighter fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I wanna, thanks, thanks for being on the show. I mean, we, we, I have known you like Forever, seriously. Yeah, uh, no, too long. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it um, feels like it feels like a century, at least. At yeah, least. Well. well, you know, he's 181, so I know. Tyler you know, When I started Ghost Chronicles like 100 years ago, I mean, it was so hard <laughs> getting people to come on the show, and and luckily, uh, Jeff was uh, benevolent enough to uh, took allow pity me. on you. Yeah, evidently. So. <laughs> but and also. In all seriousness, Jeff, I mean, when when I did first get into paranormal uh, and I went on the Internet, which was fairly new back then, and we had this thing called uh, AOL or something like that. I don't know what the God. hell that was. But uh, if you went on and you looked up paranormal, I mean, your site, Ghost Village, was like the prominent site on the Internet. Yeah, no, it's crazy. So we started in 1999, which wow. I know makes it 18 years next month. God bless you. I know. I mean, isn't that crazy? It's um, it it just you, you think of everything as new on the internet, but eighteen years. I mean, we're going to be legal, uh, in, <laughs> in just a month. Yeah. And how long Thank you been God. married? <laughs> less than less than eighteen years. That's what I figured. Yes, that's it had to be that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? So um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's been it's been quite a ride. And and you're right. Back then. There was lots of ghost sites and things like that, and, and it was still kind of new. And the Internet, I think you can't understate the role the Internet played in the paranormal discussion. because and, and, and you can say this about a million different fields of interest as well, 
but we're talking about the paranormal. And I think what it allowed people to do is, you know, you know, when Ghost Village started, it was just six web pages. It was a, an interview I did with Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, from 1997. In fact, next month marks my 20th anniversary of writing about the paranormal. Wow. I know. And, uh, and so it was just six pages. And I said, tell me your ghost experience. Email it. Email it in. And you know, every month or two, someone would write in a story. And then it was every week or two. And then it was almost every day. And then it was multiple times a day. And I just kept publishing them. And I think what happened was people realized, oh, my God, I'm not alone when I've had these experiences. And they read about others and they see themselves in them and they say, this something like this happened to me. Let me tell you about my experience. And it just made the discussion bigger and bigger. And then, of course, came television shows and, and books. And it just became such a popular topic. But at the root of it all is still that human experience. And that's still the thing that interests me more than any other part of this. Do you think that's what the paranormal is all about, really, the human experience, rather than the scientific aspects of it? Absolutely, the living human experience. I I don't think ghosts exist in a vacuum. Or if they do, it's almost irrelevant, because how are we going to know? I mean, if if you're not there to witness in some way, if you're not in the equation in some way... Uh, I don't I don't even think it matters. I think this is all about people because we we keep ghosts around. We summon them, if you want to use that word, for some reason, um, because we need them. We need them for some reason, whether it's to teach us a lesson, to remember the past, to connect with a loved one, to explore our future, whatever it is, we need them and they're not going anywhere. And, And you've also written, I mean, I'm teen books and I do you know, remember how many books now? It's actually 15. 15. Wow. And holding. <laughs> 15 and holding. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and Jeff was so kind to uh, remind me when I asked him to come on the show that uh, my new book, The Ghost Files, was uh, titled was stolen from him. So uh, oh, I, nice. th- th- thank nice you so fun. much, Jeff. I appreciate that. That's, that was kind of you. <laughs> and you're not the first. Uh, it's funny. I, I had a book called The Ghost Files. I don't remember when it came out, but it was years ago. And then I Jason- do remember it, though, I'll tell you the truth. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it had to have been, well, you know what? It's let's, on my bookshelf. Uh, let's, let's consult the, uh, you know, it's faster, than, faster than the bookshelf is my computer. Uh, there you go. I've, I've heard about them. Yeah. Yeah, they're going <laughs> to catch on. So this was, yeah. um, my goodness, what year was this? This was 2007. <laughs> 2007, yeah. it came, so 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And then ago. A, a few years later, uh, Jason and Grant from Ghost Hunters put Ooh. out a book called The Ghost Files. Yes, who? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and now yours, yours, which will be the you know the pinnacle, obviously, of the ghost. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Building yeah. on all your hard work. That's, that's what right. I if, now, let me recall: is the book uh, was the book blue and, and not like a full size book, but a, a little bit smaller? It was a little smaller, and yes, it was kind of bluish. You, oh you, God, I am the best. Yeah, yeah, you're right on it. Right on it. You're up there. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you've written 15 books. What? What one was your, your favorite to write? Oh, I don't. That's really hard. I mean, I know it is. I know. But you, you must have one that you are that kind of like, oh, you know, this was fun to write. I mean, I've, I've only written humbly two books, uh, Ghost Chronicles and Ghost Today. But my favorite to, to write, and which is probably the crappy of the two books, is uh, Ghost Today. Uh, it was just a fun book to write. And sure. so that's why I can say it. And I only have two. So at 15, <laughs> I'm sure you must have some. Well, you, you know, I, I really enjoyed writing uh, Who's Haunting the White House, which is a, a book for children. And it oh, was yeah. my, yeah, I, I've, as since, since I was in college, I really wanted to 
write children's books. And so this was my first opportunity to do that. And really marrying, obviously, with a subject I love, which is history and ghosts. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, I'm so proud of the way that came out, the way the, the artist, uh, Rick Powell, did an amazing job on, on all the art. And it was this full-color, gorgeous, hardcover children's book that came out. And um, it, it went right through its first printing. It, it sold out. And then we did a second edition, a revised edition, which was awesome. And that sold out, and and sadly, it's uh, out of print now. But oh, that's uh, a shame. that was a hard cover, right? It was a hard cover the first time, and then it was a soft cover the second time. And See, it was I um, you so well. Yeah, no, it was just it was just so I was so proud of that, just to hold it and be like, wow, you know, this is this is one way that ghosts serve us. We can use them to teach history, and mm-hmm. I still believe that. I believe that when I'm doing my lectures, and I've said repeatedly that. History is the stage that we set the ghosts on. So if you don't cover the history, it's like seeing a play where the actors are dressed entirely in black and there's no setting at all. It's just they walk out on stage and you have no idea. Is it 2017? Is it 1870? You know, are, are we in a, a city? Are we in a farm? You have no idea unless someone tells you, shows you the history. And then we can start to fill in and we can start to connect with the story and ultimately with the ghost. And so that's so important to me. To, to cover that, and that that's kind of the foundation of everything that I do. I know. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite books that I, I received, and unfortunately it wasn't yours, was uh, Haunted Heights. And and, and the way I loved it because it had uh, the state of New Hampshire on it, and it was uh, printed in fluorescent things, so it glowed in the dark. So, oh. I mean, it, it worked out really great. Like, if you're in, in bed at night, you know, you put your beer there as you're watching a football game, you can see where it is without the lights. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, I didn't write that, Ron. That's a good. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, oh, that's Jeff has no. Jeff has no comment on that. <laughs> I, I was I was wondering what he was going to say. I just I just you know he. That's the one thing I love about Jeff is is that it's very hard to get him not to say something because he just loves to talk. Uh, if you've gone to his lectures, you know that they're simply. It, it, well, let me ask you. Let me tell you this: if you have not gone to Jeff Belage's. Uh, lectures you have to go because That's he right. is an amazing speaker. He's all over the freaking libraries. I mean, you can find him in any library. Just look it up. You'll find Jeff. Right. He? He's been yeah. to East Bridgewater Library twice. Really? So yeah. yes, our little back. teeny town. I might be back again. I don't remember. I'm, I'm doing uh, pretty soon. I'll be somewhere every single night. And wow. it's but it's so cool. You know, you know, as, as a writer, Ron, and you know when you're doing your show, Anne as well. You think you've got something great. There's a story that really speaks to you, and you talk about it with such passion. And sometimes the audience just goes, "Well, I don't know, whatever," you know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, it's no. true. But I mean, but when you get when you put it in front of a live audience, you see when it works. You right. say, "Oh, yeah, this really does work." Or, boy, it it didn't quite work the way I thought. And that's exactly. the challenge for all of us that produce media. You know we. We, we've got our instincts and we've got our experience to tell us what to do, how to tell the story, and so on. Uh, but you you don't usually get to sit in the laps of the consumer, the the people out there listening right now. You're not you're not listen, you know you're not out there listening with them. And mm-hmm. so when you do something live, I love the energy of a live audience. I love the way it it ebbs and flows, and uh, what might come up, the the skeptics that might heckle you, or the believers that might want to share their own experiences. It becomes this amazing symphony of of spiritual performance that I, I really can't put my finger on, but I just think it's so cool to be a part of it. And there's nothing like presenting these stories in front of people because that's how it was originally done. 
long before internet, long before radio and, and even print, we sat around and we shared these stories. And right. that's the thing that connects us. Right. And in fact, uh, if if I remember, it's a, a thing you've done. I think maybe for the last two years, you, you did a uh, a show in a theater where you. That's exactly what you did. You sat around with other people and you told stories. So yeah, we do a stage show. It's called an evening of uh, ghost stories and New England legends, and it's uh, we're doing it again this year. And of oh, course, cool. I don't know the date off the top of my head, but it's um. It's all on my website. Well prepared for your for your show. Very good. <laughs> I never know what you're going to want me to plug or talk about. You didn't. In fact, to quote Ron earlier today, "Ooh, I got surprises for you." And that was that was my uh, my. Prank. I haven't got to them yet. Oh, good. <laughs> so it's at the the Westboro Public Library, October twentieth. We're doing the show, and it's myself, Carl Johnson from uh, you know Paranormal State and Ghost Hunters, and mm-hmm. Tim Weisberg and Andrew Lake. Uh, we, we tell stories set to the photography of Frank Grace. And if you've never seen Frank Grace's oh. photos, yeah, they're so eerie. He just does this incredible job. And so we're telling you stories. It's almost like, the way I can describe it is it's like a nonfiction documentary play performance. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I can't think of anything like it. Where we go up there and we tell true stories, it's like a ghost tour, but you don't have to leave your seat. And we talk about it in the present tense in real time in in uh, you know in in coordination with these photos and and kind of take you there and it's such an experience you know you guys have been on ghost tours you've led ghost tours there's nothing like hearing it in the location there's no substitute for that because then you can imagine how you might feel and maybe you're actually going to sense something or see something mm-hmm. and that's the thrill of of, of that whole experience and we're really trying to bring that to a stage and do it every year we want to be like the nutcracker for halloween there you go. So uh, one thing I do want to report for those listening on the Pararex that the uh, Tojinet site is up and the yes, chat sir. is up. And, yep. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's the thing I like about Jeff. He's, he's and I always call him the hottest working guy because he's, he's always doing so much. I mean, uh, speaking of uh, Frank Grace, he also did a calendar with him for the last two or three years, Jeff. Yeah, this is our fourth one. Uh, the, the oh, 20, my God. Geez. Yeah, wow. 2018 wow. Haunted New England calendar just came out. Uh, the thing is, we only printed 350 of them. They're they're beautiful, and they're only for sale either at my lectures or on my website, jeffbelanger.com, and um, that's it. And and we've been doing them every year. The thing about publishing a calendar, you know, you you know, Ron, you've done books, and let's say you get a quantity of 50 books. Well, they can sit in your basement until you eventually sell them. If if you have a calendar, <laughs> oops, oh yeah. Let's, once it's January 1st, no one wants it. Mm-hmm. So we purposely only print 350, and we've sold out every single year. Uh, we only print that many because I can't have any left over in January because that's just waste. I'll never be able to, to sell them. So they usually sell out by the end of November, first week of December, and this year they're selling even faster than before. So if anyone's interested, you can check them out. They're full color, gorgeous. So what's on the, the calendar, Jeff? Uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I can see uh, on your website, Jeff, that the very first page it's open to is uh, the uh, the graveyard in Connecticut, and yes. the name just jumped right out of my head. Union Cemetery. Union Cemetery. We just talked about that on our last live show. It's one of the most haunted places in the and United grew, States. And I grew up near there. I mean, I grew up mm-hmm. two towns away, and I remember hearing about the White Lady of Easton since childhood. Mm-hmm. And that story, 
it's so powerful. I, I mean, we don't really know what the truth is there. There's there's various versions that go around that she was a bride killed right. on her Did wedding you say day. Virgins or versions? Uh, versions. Virgin. Oh, I, I said virgin. I'm sorry. I, 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 my my headset was a little off. I apologize mm-hmm. for that. No, yeah. it's, your, it's your age. You're lucky. I, I thought that was. A, I thought you were, we were getting breaking. Forgot what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, virgin. <laughs> Never mind. Right. So <laughs> the story is, uh, but but it also harkens back to um, you know a time where where women were buried in their wedding dresses. Oh, right. so there's white oh. lady legends all over the world. White ladies, gray ladies, um, and this one belongs to Connecticut, and people report seeing her on the side of the road and in the cemetery and so on. And it's just one of these tales that it's been kicked around so long, you just know it. And when you drive by that cemetery, and I remember my brother-in-law used to drive by it on his way to work every single day. Total skeptic, didn't believe in the white lady. But he said, you know, especially when you're driving back at night and it's dark, you can't help but look over. And I went, yeah, because <laughs> what if? Just in what case, if? just in what case. What if night's the night she's out there, and I don't want to miss it. There you go. <laughs> and that is a fantastic photo. All Frank's photos are amazing. He is and amazing. he is just uh, such a kind and generous guy. He's he's also been on our show, as have you. I think you were our second or third guest wow. when we started our live video really? broadcast <laughs> <laughs> and um frank gifted us all of us uh with beautiful uh blown up photographs on like you know like a hard like a foam kind yeah, of matted matted ones, mat- yeah. well not really matted but on right, on fine, on whatever. they were lovely and he brought one for all of us and it 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 just, it was the kindest thing for him to do. And I have the Lizzie Borden yeah. uh, one hanging right over my desk in my office. And everybody who comes in comments August on it. in our calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's amazing. He really is. He's got such an eye for it. And I've been with Frank. He, uh, For example, when we were filming in Hammond Castle for our PBS show, New England Legends. And I said, Frank, this is kind of a once in a lifetime, you know, come on in with us. And he was like, oh, yeah, took the day off mm-hmm. of work brought all of his cameras and I'm like, go nuts, man, play. And he took <laughs> all these great photos. And you know, I was standing next to him when he took plenty of the photos. And you know, I'm doing my thing, he's doing his, we're setting stuff up. And then I looked at the prints and I went, Man, I was standing right next to you when you took that picture, thought nothing of it. And then I look at it on screen and it's creepy and I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> and I was there. You know? <laughs> How do you do that, man? He's, uh, he's just got such an eye to just make it just weird yeah. enough that it, it brings out the creep factor. So talented. And, and since you brought that up, why don't we use that as a segue into another one of your little adventures? And that, of course, is the uh, Legend uh, series you're doing for PBS and also for Amazon, I believe, too, right? Yeah, so we started on PBS back in 2013. Uh, a show called New England Legends, and the idea is just to explore these great stories that that we love to talk about. You know, whether it's the White Lady of Easton or Hammond Castle or the, the haunts, the the strange tales that seem to just permeate almost every single town in New England. So we started that and been doing one every year and, and building slowly. It's completely self-funded. My my uh, partner Tony Dunn and I have been doing it. And a few months ago, we added it to Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member, you can actually watch it for free. It's included. Mm-hmm. And that's wow. really allowed us to reach a lot more people, and it's been awesome. Um, you know, getting feedback that 
we just never would have got otherwise. The thing about broadcast television, it, it's so limiting, you know. Uh, and and we have, we're working on a new episode. It's going to air on various PBS stations this October. But if you miss it, you miss it. Right. And, and now what streaming allows us to do is put it up on Amazon Prime. And if you missed it, you can watch it whenever you want, which is really where a lot of TV is going. And, uh, and, and it allows us to find our audience, whereas we may not another way. And so That's it's pretty true. pretty exciting That's opportunity. That's wonderful. And I am an Amazon Prime member, so I am going to have to take advantage of that. There you definitely. go. Definitely. Or you could be like me and have the DVD and watch it when the hell you want anyway. Uh, well, this way. is true. This is true. You know, put it in your car while you want driving and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that, that was, I mean, you, you have so many projects you've worked on, so many cool stuff. I mean, and of course, one of the most amazing one and is, of course, and I absolutely love the name, is 30 Odd Minutes. <laughs> yeah, yes. that, that was super fun. And um, we did 30 odd minutes right up until 2014. Believe it or not, it's been a three year hiatus. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. But I heard a rumor that the mothership might be uh, coming ah. out. Ah. Um, that's, that's awesome. I've, yes, I've heard- we ran that on uh, EBC TV. We played that for years and years. So, so here's what we did. So I realized, you know, cable access, no offense, guys, but, but we all know. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here it comes. Here it comes. Okay. I was there with you. I was right there. So <laughs> the thing is, like, if you, in the olden days, a few years ago. The uh, olden days. That's say, right. say 10 years ago. Back in VHS and, uh, yeah. You, you, you start a cable access show in your town, and at best, there's, like, three interesting people in your town to interview. Maybe. Maybe right. three. Maybe I agree. That might be generous. I won't deny it. (laughs) Probably one, maybe two, you know, three on the outside. And once you've had those three people on, you can't just keep rotating them week after week, you know, like Mm. person one, person two, person three. And so then you very quickly run out of steam and it turns into, you know, you start getting like, oh, let's talk about the bake sale for one hour. How do you talk about a bake sale for one hour? So what happened was the technology caught up and I said, well, shoot. With, I know so many interesting people in the paranormal. If we can just get Skype to work with cable access and then be able to stream it and also make it available afterward, well, suddenly, you know, you can reach people. And right. when you're trying to reach out to big guests, they're just not going to uh, they're just not going to come to your small town to reach your audience of 12. Mm. But we were, you know, we were putting it out there and giving it to a, a service that actually is, it's almost like an iTunes for public access stations uh, called right. Peg Media. So we had it up there and suddenly hundreds of, of public access stations all over the country were playing 30 odd minutes. Well, now mm-hmm. we're reaching people where, where we weren't before. So what happened was we had something that uh, we really wanted to make international in scope and we had guests from all over the world and we had the technology to stream it and also to the next day have it available for download, for viewing, for online, YouTube, whatever. And then we could actually build our audience. And it was really, really cool. And I missed doing it. I missed the fun we had. And as I mentioned, I, I heard a rumor that uh, the, the mothership is going to fly again. So you guys hang in there. Wow. All right. That's wonderful. Can't wait. Can't wait for it to land. <laughs> and, <laughs> excuse me. And... Uh, one thing we do have to announce, and we're going to uh, actually 
play after the break, of course, is that Jeff will now be a regular part of our show. <laughs> what? How, Ooh. how sad is that? <laughs> yeah, this is rock bottom. I'm not going to say too much about it, but uh, yep, 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 yep. And well, not, he's not going to be here in the flesh. What? I won't. What? You won't? Will you? Uh, you never know. No, you I'm excited. Point. I'm excited to be part of it. You just disappointed millions of women everywhere. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, uh, Jeff, Jeff, I will never forget that you uh, you came on the show a long time ago. And yep. before you came on, you tweeted uh, uh, something. You tweeted out that you're going to be on. And, oh, my God, you just we had all these people, all these women, basically, in the chat room saying, oh, oh Jeff, you're so great. Overflowing, overflowing. <laughs> Togi Nets two lines <laughs> were <laughs> ringing off the hook. Ringing <laughs> off the hook. <laughs> well, luckily, luckily, we don't take calls anymore, thank God. Because <laughs> all, be all, all his family would be calling in again. Yeah, Mom. Hi, I'm so proud of my boy. Just think about all those those uh, you know thirty years old around oh, now in their fifties now. So you know, <laughs> right? When I, that's right. When I started, hey, I'm not getting any younger either. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah but you do. You, and honest, honest to God, you do look young. You really do. It uh, seems like you'd never change. I, I guess it's uh, it's all that clean living. Uh, uh, it's like for, it's like Dick Clark. He just never gets just older. <laughs> No, but I, I think uh, when, you, when you do what you love to do, when you get to, to, to pursue your passions, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the stuff that makes you old is to really have to grind it out every day and put up with something you don't like and live in an environment that's uncomfortable. That stuff I like being married, huh? Oh, wow. Ooh, Where wow. is St. Jane's tonight? Uh, I know. Next room. Yeah. She used to it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. She'll beat the crap out of me after the show's over. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She, she'll probably get her earplugs in. It's all right. It's all yeah. right. Anyways, well, we're coming up to the I break uh, in about 15 seconds. So, anyways, so when we come back, we're going to uh, uh, introduce the new, uh, uh, I don't know what the hell I call it, new segment of the show starring the fabulous uh, Jeff Belanger. So, uh, we're really excited about this, aren't we, Ann? Yes, we are delighted. Yeah, there you go. Just excited. So as right, you listen to uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, I told you that, Pararex, and whoever the hell else we might be played, and who knows, maybe on a ghost box or, uh, you know, a Frank box, who knows. We'll be right back after following messages. Speaking to you via the medium of the ghost box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, ParaX Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. While well, mustache, I am required elsewhere on something called a K2, 
But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron and Anne and our super amazing guest, Jeff Belanger. Hey! Oh, he's back? Oh, he came back! I wow! Damn. He went down to the, to the packy and bought a six-pack and came back. Anyways. That's a Massachusetts the thing, isn't it? Yeah, the packy. The packy, kid. Jackie's packy. Yeah, anyways... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's been a great show. It's, it's always fun talking to What's-His-Name, and, uh, you know, we go way back, What's-His-Name and I, and, uh, yeah, okay, so anyway. Uh, Jeff, has it, you've, you've come up with this new idea. If you haven't had enough ideas, you've got more <laughs> of them. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about this fabulous feature that's going to be part of our show that we're so excited to have. Yeah, so I, I love telling these stories, and every year I do my lectures, and I'm always coming up with new ones, and we're doing segments for the, the PBS show, and one of the things you run up against is you, you find these great stories, but it just wouldn't work for a TV show, because there's just nothing visual, or there's nothing left anymore, or it's just quirky, but it's not really something you could tell that way, but with, with radio, with audio, with theater of the mind, you can tell it, and so uh, I, I'm working with my... Uh, a friend, Ray Osier, he's a, a longtime radio guy, and he's got works at the radio station near where I live. And we kept talking about doing something, and I said, you know, I love podcasts, but the thing is, I don't want to do podcasts like everyone else. They're not going to be an hour or two hours long. Let's just tell a story, research it, tell it, and be done with it. And so we've pretty much committed to every single week telling a story. And so that's they're going to be anywhere from like four minutes to ten minutes. And that's it. And we're going to call, we call them New England Legends. And it just launched a few weeks ago. And it's now going to be part of your show. So without further ado, Excellent. we present you with a New England Legend. I don't know if he'll take the cue from you. Ray, have you ever heard the idea that the human soul has weight? Well, I saw a movie maybe 15 years ago. It was called 21 Grams. Sean Penn was in that. Naomi Watts, I think. And uh, the whole gimmick was that we all lose 21 grams at the exact moment of our death. The reason some people believe that is because there was a medical doctor from Haverhill, Massachusetts, who once weighed his patients as they died. He was trying to prove we have a soul. 
I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Osher. And each week we bring you odd tales of ghosts, monsters, aliens, and the just plain weird from the annals of New England legends and lore. So, 21 grams, and I don't think I'll do it justice, so let's let Sean Penn, the star of the movie, uh, explain really what the movie's about from this quote from the movie. They say we all lose 21 grams at the exact moment of our death. Everyone, 21 grams, the weight of a stack of five nickels, the weight of a chocolate bar, the weight of a hummingbird. So that movie wouldn't exist without the work of Dr. Duncan McDougall from Haverhill, Massachusetts. Dr. McDougall was a devout Roman Catholic. He believed that humans have a soul, and he thought he could use science to prove it. So back in 1901, he set out to do just that. Well, how could you possibly prove such a thing on a basis of science? I mean, isn't it really a question of faith? Well, that's a fair question. And I'm sure others asked Dr. McDougall the same thing. He figured if the soul is real, then it must be tangible in some way. You must be able to put it in a jar, weigh it the same way you'd weigh a person's liver, heart, brain, or other organs. Now, listen, I'm no doctor, <laughs> but where, oh, where did he believe the soul resided in the body? Dr. McDougall had no idea where the soul resided in the body either, so he came up with a simple concept. Weigh a person while they're alive, then place them on a scale and wait for them to die and see if there's a change in weight. Pretty simple. Yeah, but it seems pretty cruel, too. I mean, what would I say? Hey, Jeff, lie down here, you know, and, until you die, and so I can weigh you and see if you have a soul. Yeah, I guess I should back up a bit. So Dr. Duncan McDougall worked in Dorchester, Massachusetts, in a hospital that included several tuberculosis patients near the end of their life. During various points of history, tuberculosis wiped out huge portions of the population. Okay, Googling tuberculosis. So it says here, Tuberculosis is an infectious disease that usually affects the lungs. It's the second biggest killer globally. In 2015, 1.8 million people died from this disease. Wow. I mean, I thought this was some kind of old-timey illness like polio that we wiped out. So TB's been around for centuries. It used to be called consumption because it consumes its victims. It turns them into living corpses wasting away. Some people believe there was a preternatural cause to the illness, too. But that's a story for another day. It also says here that microbiologist Robert Koch discovered the microbial cause of tuberculosis in 1882. That led to vaccines and effective drug treatment plans. But that would take decades to get put into place on a big scale. It also says that if left untreated, two-thirds of people with tuberculosis will die. That's right. It's still a deadly disease. We take it for granted here in the United States because we have access to good treatment and vaccines and so on. But worldwide, it's still a very big killer, and it has been for centuries. So where does Dr. McDougall come in? So by 1901, Dr. McDougall was dealing with a range of patients near the end of their life. You asked before how you could get away with asking a person to die for an experiment. Well, it wasn't quite that brutal. If you've ever known anyone that worked in hospice care or a nursing home or a hospital, they can tell you when a person's in their final days and even final hours. It's just experience. They know the signs that the end is near, and it was no different a century ago. So Dr. McDougall would approach patients near the end and say, look, I think you have a soul, and I think I can prove it. And here's what I want to do. When you're in your final hours, I want to move you to a bed that's attached to a sensitive scale. It's so sensitive right down to the gram. You'll be comfortable, and as you pass away, we'll watch for any change in weight. It's still, that's quite a thing to say to a dying person. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's completely unethical, even by 1901 standards. Still, six patients agreed, five men and one woman. Some of them suffered from tuberculosis. 
Now, on April 10th, 1901, Dr. McDougall placed his first patient on the gurney and watched them die. He observed, as they gasped their last breath, they lost about one full ounce of weight. Now, I'm checking out a quote from a March 11, 1907 New York Times article where McDougall says, The instant life ceased, the opposite scale pan fell with a suddenness that was astonishing, as if something had been suddenly lifted from the body. Immediately, all the usual deductions were made for physical loss of weight, and it was discovered that there was still a full ounce of weight unaccounted for. Right. McDougall says he couldn't account for the loss. Now, I'm not a death expert, but I understand that when a person dies, basically, you lose your grip on everything. What are you trying to say, Ray? And you pee and you poop yourself when you die? Now, wouldn't that be... Wouldn't that account for some weight loss? Definitely. But Dr. McDougall's scale would account for that. So the weight wouldn't disappear. It would still be with the body. It wouldn't get lost. So his scale would still measure that. So five more times, this experiment played out. Two of the times, there was some sort of issue or debate whether the patient was already dead before being placed on the scale or some sort of mechanical issue. But still, each person lost some weight that couldn't be explained. Some lost a little more, some lost a little less, but the average was 21 grams. So was it the same for each patient? There was one anomaly. We'll call him patient three. And what happened? With patient three, there was no weight loss at the moment of death. Not at first. After one minute, the weight dropped about one ounce. And how did Dr. McDougall explain that? Well, he wrote, and I quote, I believe that in this case, that of a phlegmatic man, slow of thought and action, that the soul remains suspended in the body after death, during the minute that elapsed before its freedom. There's no other way of accounting for it. And it is what might be expected to happen in a man of the subject's temperament. Was there any sort of control group or anything like that? Well, Ray, there was. Dr. McDougall also experimented on 15 dogs by euthanizing each one on the scale. He observed they lost no weight at the moment of death. Therefore, humans have a soul and dogs do not. Dogs? That monster! I know, I know. Don't shoot the messenger. But I agree. The dogs never asked to be part of this experiment. What happened to Dr. McDougall after this? Though he stopped weighing dying people, he never gave up on trying to prove the existence of a soul. He moved on to trying to photograph a soul as it leaves the body at death. Now, he never made any news headlines for the results he obtained in that regard. Ray, I'm going to let you have the last word on this story. Well, I think it's really interesting, and I think a lot of this is faith-based, but it's not so bad to have uh, some backup when it comes to faith, a little bit of proof. So I respect his efforts, and I think it's just a cool story. Next week, we'll return with another strange but true tale from somewhere in New England. And we want you guys involved. If you have a story you've heard that you want us to check out, could be a monster, ghost, alien, or just some odd bit of history, just let us know. You can email us at info at ournewenglandlegends.com. We'll also make each episode available on Jeff Belanger's Facebook page and link to it from ournewenglandlegends.com. Until next time, remember, the bizarre is closer than you think. Wow. Cool. Was, I, I have to say, Jeff, that I picked that one because uh, you sent me a couple of them. And yeah. because that is very dear to me. Uh, when, when I first started doing Ghost Chronicles about 100 years ago, uh, <laughs> the radio show, uh, that was one of my first shows was on uh, Duncan McDougall. And I, I've done a lot of research. I got newspaper articles from him. I have uh, I've actually went to his house in Haverhill. So that's kind of oh, cool. cool. Was he in? Uh, no, he wasn't. He was kind of. I, I was thinking about digging him up, but uh, you know, 
but you know what? His his reason. Oh, the funny part about it is right. I I, I uh, when we talked about it, and I mentioned well, since he euthanized fifteen dogs and they didn't lose weight, ergo they had no souls. Well, the lines lit up from every dog yeah. owner that ever listened oh, to the yeah. show. Oh yeah. Uh, they crucified me. But in all fairness, his work has gone on. I don't know if you knew that, Jeff. Yeah, you know, this, so I, he was uh, he was photographing, trying to photograph souls, and mm-hmm. I know people. So here's the thing: we're trying to we're trying to wrap our hands around something that's kind of a concept that's very intangible, and I think we do it because we want to validate our faith, a- mm-hmm. and we get validation for our faith in so many ways. Some people get it each week in church or mosque or synagogue or temple or what have you. Other people get it. With a with an EMF meter in a cemetery at midnight, lighting up all the way to red, right? And, you know, so I, I understand the pursuit. I really, really do. And I think each of us is going to have some kind of different threshold on on what's what's right. proof. But for us. there is there is uh, science, scientific uh, uh, work going on. It's uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Stuart uh, Hammerhoff, the professor. Emer- er- I can never say that. Emeritus. Emeritus of the Department of Anesthesiology and Psychology and the Director of the Center for Human Conscious Studies at the University of Arizona. And his counterpart, Sir Roger Primrose, a mathematician physicist from the Mathematical Institute and Wadham College in the University of Oxford are working on this. And they believe that the human soul resides in quantum-level microtubules uh, of the vibrational. And they explain this in that what happens to the human soul uh, are the consciousness, which is what most people believe the human soul is. It's the consciousness of the body. The body is a mechanical thing. The, the human soul is conscious, leaves the body during anesthesiologists and also like in near-death experiences. stuff. So they've done quite a research and, and using quantum physics and everything else they've uh, are working with that, so it, it, the work continues. Uh, you know, maybe it seemed primitive at the time, but when you look at all our, you know, inventors and and great uh, minds of the time, it, it was very primitive to them when we first started. You know, just a tube with a couple of lenses, and it was the first telescope. I mean, sure. So there's you no, know, the, the, I mean, think about it. there's there's electrical impulses coursing through your body right now for you mm-hmm. to blink an eye, breathe, move your arms and legs, muscle. I mean, there's, there's some, there's an energetic event happening. That's, that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So what happens to that energy after we cease to function? Exactly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, physics tells us energy can't be created or destroyed. So it just kind of changes form. So that's, that's always right. been very interesting to me. And I, when I was in college, I was almost an atheist in college. Almost. I never quite got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never got there because of, of science, ironically. I, I felt like there, there, there were some, some questions that are unanswerable. And to me, that in itself is the realm of God. And that's, I think, a big part of the reason I love exploring this is because I'm also exploring my own spirituality. I have my own questions, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding answers. But, but they're, they're my answers. They, they wouldn't mean the same to you or to someone exactly. else. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's totally cool. You know, someone comes up and they goes, oh, when I put a crystal on my forehead and I meditate and I can tune into the, you know, Mother Nature spirit, that's fine. That's that's their way. It's working for them. Right. It's when the, I eat this mushroom or I'll lick this frog, I, yeah, I talk, <laughs> I talk to God. I you got to lick a lot of frogs in the forest. Oh, Believe me. You. Find the one that makes you hallucinate. Um, so, I, I can I, uh, I'd really like to ask you a question, Jeff. 
Um, oh, God, here we go. Here it comes. No. Ready. Tell us, please, about Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a spiritual experience for me, for sure. I know. Well, I, we're talking about we're going down that kind of down that path, and I, I just I, that must have been incredible. It was. I um, <clears throat> little backstory. Um, I, my brother-in-law died of cancer in 2015. Um, sorry, end of 2015 mm-hmm. in December, and um, Kilimanjaro had been on my bucket list for years. I took Swahili in college, and so. I was always very interested, and I wanted to do something to honor him. And a friend of mine from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society said, hey, we're doing a fundraiser. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll help if I can. I've done stuff before, but I'm really busy. And she said, Kilimanjaro. And I went, oh, wait a mm. minute. And so uh, I started fundraising for them. They, they put us together with all strangers um, from New England. There's going to be the New England team. And we started doing training hikes, training hikes in the White Mountains of New Hampshire and everything else, and buying the gear, raising money. And uh, March of this year, I went over to Tanzania and Africa and Eastern Africa and raised over $17,000, just wow. me, wow. for Leukemia wow. Society, which is amazing. That's not me. I mean, that was everybody who donated. And so going there, uh, it takes six days to get to the top. And those first, like, five and a half days, yeah, it's it's a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, but very doable. I was in real good shape. And, um, you know, the altitude gets you really start to feel it you know once you get above ten thousand feet you um it's harder to breathe something that you would do very naturally at sea level suddenly you're you're panting a little bit and the higher up you go the more you're panting mm-hmm. and by the time you get to fifteen thousand feet which is where the base camp is before you head for the summit it's less than one half the oxygen that we have here at sea level oh and so if you're standing perfectly still it's not so bad but let's say you walk 10 15 feet up a hill to go do something you feel it you really feel it and so the plan is to go for the summit at midnight and it's going to take uh we're going to go it's 3.1 miles and it's going to take eight hours so the idea is to get up there by by sunrise and then that gives you time to come down to a breathable area so we start for at midnight and we just have these headlamps on and it's just the glow around your feet you can see nothing it's black as black can be and it's so very cold and I've trained in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in January in Sub-Zero. So I've got the gear, but mm-hmm. still, it just chills you to the bone. And we're getting higher and higher. And around 3 in the morning, I didn't think I was going to make it. Uh, but, no. but it was just, I couldn't breathe. I mean, at one point, I had my, I took my, my coat open. I opened my coat, my winter shell, to go to the bathroom. And I just, I, I couldn't get it back together again. I couldn't zip the damn thing up. I'm like a, a three-year-old who just can't mm-hmm. zip their jacket. Mm-hmm. And one of the guides had to come over and, and zip me up. Mm-hmm. And so I said, all right, let me just follow the feet in front Thank of me. Thank God you didn't have to go to the bathroom, huh? <laughs> you didn't go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I left, I left some DNA there on Kilimanjaro. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, but around 5 a.m., I turned around and I could see, like, just the horizon started to get a little bit purple. And I'm like, oh, man, the sun's coming. And by 6 o'clock, we are just getting up to the rim of the volcano. And <sighs> a place called Stella Point, And the sun cracked the surface. And I saw the most amazing sight I've ever seen. And you look around, and I can tell you, there's no bugs. There's no animals. There's no moss. There's no grass. There's nothing living at 18,800 feet. <laughs> uh, the Maasai people down in the valley have a word for the, the summit. And they call it uh, the house of God or where God dwells. Okay. And... You realize at that moment, I realized that, number one, I'm going to make it. And I wasn't so sure an hour earlier. 
And number two, something is granting me access because living things do not belong up here. There's no food. <laughs> there's no water. There's no resources. There's not, you know, it's really cold and there's not enough air to breathe. And imagine just huffing and puffing as deep as you can just to take the next step. And it was just this incredible thing. And, and you don't think right. You, you, it's almost like being a little bit intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And that last hour, I finally touched the sign and made it to the summit. But the, I realized the real moment was there at the edge, a little bit lower, an hour earlier, when I saw the sunrise and realized I, the only way I can put it is that I felt like a higher power said, all right, you've, you've proven yourself worthy. You can come mm-hmm. up. It's just amazing. Like that. I'll never forget it. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. And it, was, and it was hope. That's sunrise. So I took a picture of it. And at the time, I just clicked and put my camera away. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's on my website. You can see it. When I got home and looked at the picture, I was just so blown away. And I I've, I've call it hope. I actually made postcards where I wrote the story on the back. I've been giving these postcards away at my lectures and things. And I said, if anyone needs hope, just ask, and I'll, I'll give you this picture. And I've, I've got it blown up big, and I've, I've got it framed on my kitchen. And it just happens that it's on the east-facing wall. So it's pretty much in line where the sun actually rises at my house. Mm-hmm. And I look at that picture, and it's a reminder that hope comes every single morning in the in the form of a sunrise. And that's pretty encouraging because sometimes our days can be pretty crappy. And if you just remember, hope's coming again in the morning. Um, you know, maybe you, you just, just got to make it through that dark, cold night and, and give it another go the next day. And, and so uh, I've been giving these away, and some people have found some inspiration in it. You're a regular girl now, huh? I know. Yeah. This Come is on. amazing. And that picture is beautiful. It yeah. is. Yeah. No, it's, 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 you know, it's amazing. I didn't make it, right? Like someone, someone way higher up than me made it. I just, <laughs> I just clicked the button. Uh, so, yeah, as, you, as, you, as you stood at the top there, though, I mean, you said that that, that other point was to you more uh, significant than the actual top. But did do people like leave uh, offerings at the top or, or anything yeah. like that? Human ashes, too. Really? Uh, oh, sure. right. Yeah. Right. And, and by the Imagine. way, on the way up and down, I saw markers where people had died. Um, <laughs> so, you know, on the way up, we, we saw where someone had been hit by lightning and died. And oh, you realize Lord. You're, you're in the clouds. You're walking among the clouds. If an electrical storm whips up, you're covered in metal. You're covered with your gear and everything. And there's nowhere mm-hmm. to hide. You just, there's no, nothing. So, um, so I saw that. And then someone who just died from the altitude, uh, I saw another marker that, and that was just, just a few years ago. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a reminder, you know, this is kind of dangerous stuff that we're doing. And if you're going to make it up, uh, you and down. That's the other thing. I remember talking to a mountaineer years ago who said, you know, you got to remember the summit. That's just halfway. You, <laughs> That's true. Uh, you got to get home. You got to get, and to me, to get back, right? That, that was halfway. And I can tell you this you know, there's mountains that end up in our path through no fault of our own, and then there's mountains that we put squarely in front of us. And I think the important thing is that you just climb the damn thing. You know, whatever your Kilimanjaro is, don't be afraid to put it squarely in front of you and face it and climb it. Right. Words of wisdom, definitely. By Jeff Belanger. By Jeff Belanger. Yes. Right. You heard him first, right here. <laughs> Except all the other times he said it. Uh, anyway, Jeff, what lies in the, ahead for you in the future? 
Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to be working on a new episode of New England Legends for PBS and then Amazon Prime. I'm loving these new podcasts because I get to tell a new story every single week, and it's going to be on your show. It's it's for free everywhere on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher, wherever you want to get your podcasts, if you want to subscribe that way, or just listen to your show. And uh, I'm just excited to be you know working on some new books. And of course, this is my, my lecture tour time of year, so I will be somewhere just about every single night all the way through into November, and then even a couple of, uh, couple of programs in December as well. So... I just I love these stories. Still, I'm working on season 14 of Ghost Adventures, which is wow! Great. Can you believe That's that? 14. Well, I know most Oof. TV shows don't make it that long. So, what's <laughs> yeah. what's the Simpsons? I, yeah, we're getting there. But, you know, maybe we could be the next Simpsons. We got <laughs> got a ways to go. But uh, you know, uh, how was I going to say? Yeah, tell know. me what I was going to say. I don't know. I wish oh, I could. Well, I'm not psychic. Not That's Leslie. That's no help. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Jeff Belanger, uh, what do we look? Oh, there it is. I got it right now. What, we, what can we look forward to in, in some of these new uh, uh, snippets that you're doing for the uh, show? Yeah, so the, the short podcast. Uh, basically, I'm trying to be diverse in, in both uh, states and location and types of stories. So monsters and ghosts and UFOs and just strange, quirky history and true stories that you – you may have forgotten about. Um, I'm going to do some segments on witches and on uh, phantom hitchhikers. You name it. All these fun stories that we just love to tell. But then I want to really explore also what it means to us and why we still keep them around. And like I said, like a ghost, I think a legend serves us. We, we keep it around for a number of reasons, whether it's uh, you know a, a connection, a warning, some kind of harbinger, or, uh, or because we just think it's fun. It doesn't matter. That's why they're here. Do you believe that Oh, Who's here? Hello? Pizza from Hello? the Dead. Pizza. pizza from the Dead. That pizza I ordered finally got here. That's, That's awesome. Right. Yeah. 30 so, minutes or less my butt. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, do you believe, we got about two minutes left, Is do you believe that a lot of these legends are based on reality, uh, on true facts, or are they just totally made up? No, I don't think so. I think there's a catalyst. I, I, I believe that in my heart of hearts. I think if you just make up a story, it's not going to resonate as true. It's not going to have that feeling for other people that hear it that they'll say, wow, that really is something possible. It, there's, I believe there's a catalyst. And not only that, it, maybe it'll start, but it'll just die out. A legend needs reinforcement. You know, the Loch Ness Monster, people still see stuff. People still say, what's that strange wave? What's this dark shadow under the water? And it's enough to keep that legend alive and make you wonder, maybe, just maybe, there's something going on there. So, no, I truly believe that there is a paranormal catalyst in there that continues to affect the legend. And if it goes away, we will eventually stop talking about a legend, and that's the only way one dies. That's pretty cool. And, you know, I'm writing this new book with Barry and Calco's Files, and we're going back through some of this stuff. And it's really funny because I'm remembering some of the early times in uh, my uh, paranormal life, especially. Do you remember contact out the Hooten Mansion, Jeff? Yeah, I do. You, we fell down the stairs or something. Yeah, Dr. Bell was there, and uh, oh, the guy who wrote Haunted Baseball. Um, oh, what the heck was his name? But that was a blast. But anyways, I know we're almost out of show. If, yeah. if people if people want to find out more about Jeff Belanger, where can they go? You can go to jeffbelanger.com or you can go to ghostvillage.com. 
Jeff, I can't tell you what a great, uh, uh, yeah, great. Pleasure uh, is. Uh, oh, did I say that alone? Uh, pleasure it is to have you here on the show, and and uh, we look forward to all the new adventures that you're doing, and uh, we'll uh, lucky to have you. Thanks. Ah, oh, shucks. Thank you, guys. It's great to be back yeah. with you. Love you, yeah. man. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Exit. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck.